Amen. Well, welcome. Welcome. I, did, did, who read the most recent headline? Did you guys read the headline that about the post-Thanksgiving inflation? Did you guys read about it? It's mostly in the midsection, but it's, <laughs> but it's definitely, definitely happening. Did, nobody else read about that? Just curious. How many ate way, how many ate way too much? During the holidays, holy cow. I'm still stuffed from yesterday. We had Thanksgiving on Thursday, like most people, and um, at my in-law's house, and then we had a double birthday party at my house yesterday with two of my grandkids, two of my grandboys, and then, huh? Friday, Friday, thanks. And then Saturday, I'll get it straight eventually, and then Saturday we were at my mom's house with 30 people doing more food, and uh, so I'm just totally stuffed. So I'm ready to stop eating for a few days. I probably won't. I mean, let's be honest, but <laughs> it's a good thought. Hey, we're in Hebrews chapter 3. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation today. We're answering the question, what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? I mean, it's really the challenge that the writer of Hebrews is issuing. He's challenging these believers. These are Jewish believers, people who are Jewish but believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet, in their belief, they begin to waffle and have uh, second thoughts and second-guessing their, their decision to, to really serve Jesus wholeheartedly. And so we're, we're going to work today on answering that question, what do we do with Jesus? Number one in your notes, we're going to see this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to ask you to think carefully about him. Think carefully about Jesus. Why? Because in Hebrews 3, 1, it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, the writer says, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. So the writer, again, is speaking to believers. If you look at the English Standard Version or the King James Version, it inserts the word holy. And so the writer is speaking to a holy group of people, brothers and sisters in the Lord, people made holy by the work of Jesus on the cross. And we're going to celebrate communion at the end of service today, celebrating that work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. He made possible for people to be, he made it possible for people to be made holy by his sacrifice. And so the writer of Hebrews is speaking to God's people. He's speaking to his church. So he's speaking to them then, and he's speaking to us now. So what do we do with this Jesus? He's admonishing us to think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Maybe some of us are here today, and we need to rethink about this Jesus, about this person, about the work and miracles and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to rethink, because maybe like these Jewish believers, we're waffling in our connection to and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so maybe the answer for us is to rethink, to reevaluate, to reconsider who we believe Jesus to be. Last week, the writer of Hebrews instructed his audience in Hebrews chapter 2, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it, Hebrews 2, 1. So we've got to 
think and listen and be reminded about what we believe about Jesus. In the thinking and being reminded and listening to the truth, we will be refreshed in our spirits as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in thinking carefully about him, we ask, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This person that we're going to celebrate here at Christmas time, the person that we celebrate at Easter, his birth, and then his resurrection. Who is this Jesus? Well, in our study, Hebrews chapter 1 actually outlines that information for us and tells us very clearly who this Jesus is. And so I just kind of made some notes as I reread Hebrews chapter 1 to remind us and to remind myself who this Jesus is. We read from Hebrews 1 that God speaks to us through Jesus. God speaks to us through his Son. We read that God promised everything to the Son as his inheritance. Why does Jesus get everything? Well, we know that Jesus created everything as we read through Hebrews chapter 1. So we know because he created everything, he actually inherits everything. Everything belongs to him. It says, through the Son, he created, God created the universe. Through the Son, God created, through Jesus, God created the universe. So Jesus gets it all because he, well, he created it all. Uh, Verse 3 tells us that the Son radiates God's own glory. The sun radiates the beauty and the glory of the living God. Also, Jesus sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. So he created it all, and he sustains it all. We also see that Jesus cleanses the repentant of their sins. We know that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majestic God in heaven. We see that he is greater than the angels. We see that the angels actually worship Jesus. We see that God the Father declared this information, this truth, this revelation about the Son. In Hebrews 1.8, God the Father said, Your throne, O God, capital G, God, endures forever and ever. So the Father is calling the Son God. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever, Hebrews 1.8. The Son rules with a scepter of justice. So we know that he is just, and we see that he loves justice and actually hates evil. Did you know there's some things that Jesus actually hates? He loves justice but hates evil. We see that the oil of joy has been poured out on him more than on anyone else. So imagine the most joyous person in your life, the most joyous person that you know personally. The oil of joy has been poured out on Jesus more than on anyone else. He is filled with joy. We know that Jesus laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens with his own hands. Laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens with his own hands. Hands. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm getting a bigger perspective, a, a greater understanding about who this Jesus is as I read through this one chapter, Hebrews chapter 1. We see that Jesus is eternal. He will remain forever. He is always the same, and he will live forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, another verse says. God will make his enemies his footstool. So every enemy of Christ will be made his footstool. In other words, 
Jesus is victorious over everybody and over everything. So who is Jesus? He is the king. <laughs> he is the king of all kings. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of all lords. He is God in the flesh. He is the great high priest. He is the savior of all who call on his name. He is the judge of the universe. He is victorious. He will have the last word. <laughs> what do we do with this Jesus who the scriptures declare so powerfully that he is God and king and savior and redeemer, that he is judge and the one who will have the last word. We have to think carefully about him. Every time I open the scripture and think carefully about Jesus, I'm built up in my most holy faith. I'm reminded of the glory of God through Jesus, the power of God through Jesus, the awesome uh, wonder of God through Jesus. What do we do with this Jesus? Think carefully. Maybe you're here today, and as I said earlier, you need to rethink. Maybe you need to reevaluate what it is that you believe about Jesus. Maybe you've held him too loosely or have had him in a box in your life. Maybe you just haven't properly understood the person and work of the living God. I heard a sermon recently that was disturbing and disheartening at the same time. This gal was teaching or preaching and leading a service, and she was talking about the throne room of God. This place where the angelic hosts cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This place where there's adoration and praise going before the throne constantly. And she concluded that the angels around the throne room of God were probably texting each other, distracted, just kind of doing what humans might do. She joked that they're probably having a farting contest in the throne room of heaven. It is unbelievable what people will say and declare. She said, God is a lot more fun than we give him credit for being. And this was her point. It's, 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 it is a gross injustice to talk about the throne room that way, to talk about God that way with such little regard for his holiness, for his power, for his authority, for who he is. And it's disheartening that in, a, in our culture, there are people who hold that understanding. And I don't know about you, but if I had that understanding or if I held that understanding, I would be very flippant about my faith very flippant about my purity, very flippant about anything having to do with my walk as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because, well, if that's what they're doing around the throne room of God, then God's not very serious. It doesn't take sin very serious. It doesn't take life very serious. We need to think carefully about Jesus, number one. Number two, we need to choose to believe the truth about him. We have to believe the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that means we don't get our information about Jesus from popular culture. We get the truth about Jesus from the pages of Scripture. 
the 39 Old Testament books of the Bible and the 27 New Testament books, the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to the Revelation. That's where we get our information about Jesus. This, this is where we get our information, revelation about the one that has saved us and has redeemed us. We have to choose to believe the truth about him. We can only believe the truth if we hear the truth and read the truth and work to understand the truth as we think carefully about him. Hebrews 3 1 again says, and so dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. So the truth that we're beginning to see about Jesus is that he is God's messenger, that he is a high priest. A better translation for messenger is actually apostle. Apostle means sent one. We see that God sent Jesus, sent him into the earth. In the incarnation, born of a virgin as a baby, came into the earth to live, to die, to resurrect, and to ascend, to make atonement for our sins. John 17, 18, in Jesus' prayer to the Father, he said, Just as you sent me, Father, into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus was sent with a message, and now he sends us as his messengers. As we get a hold of that revelation that Jesus came with a message and has given us that message to proclaim, we realize that we've got great purpose in the earth. I was talking with a gal this morning who attends church here, and she was in a coma for six days. And they thought that she was going to die, so they were going to unplug her and take her off of life support. And as she was hearing this in her coma, her eyes began to twitter, or blink and, and shudder, and, and she, uh, she awakened from her coma, and they, when they took her off of life support, she lived, and she was here at church this morning. There's, there's purpose in our living. God has kept this woman alive. He has kept us alive, not just to warm a seat in church, but to do the supernatural and wonderful work that he has called us to. He has sent us. He is sending us into the world with his message. Hebrews 3, 2 says, for he was faithful. Jesus was faithful to the Father who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Well, why does Moses come up? Why? Moses is esteemed in the Jewish faith as the giver of the law. And so the people who have given their life, committed their life to Jesus are now waffling and thinking, maybe I should go back to Judaism. So there's a comparison that's beginning to take place in the text here, and this is what it says. So we, we, we read about the faithfulness of Jesus alongside the faithfulness of Moses. But it says in verse 3, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. We go back to Hebrews 1, 2 again, and it says, it declares that through this Jesus, that God, it was God created the whole universe. So every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. We're speaking of Jesus there. Verse 5, Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant, we're getting a clearer understanding of Moses' role and his job in the 
earth. He was here as a servant. His work was an illustration, the verse goes on, of the truths God would reveal later. So Moses brought the law. The law was given so that we would recognize our desperate, desperate need for God's grace because as the law was given, people realized never ever can we keep the whole law. In fact, the Bible says if we break one part of the law, we're guilty of breaking all of the law. So it's impossible for us to find righteousness and a good standing with God through the keeping of the law. The law was given so that we might recognize our desperate need for God. Moses had a role to play as a servant, one doing the will of God. It's a reminder to the reader uh, in the first century that the law did not actually originate with Moses. He was just a messenger to bring the law. Exodus 31, 18 tells us that the law was written with the finger of God. God actually wrote on the stones of, uh, on the tablets of stone with his finger, writing out the, the Ten Commandments. So Moses was a servant, that is all. He is, he is not deity. So the writer is attempting to put Moses in his proper place so that the people might keep Jesus in his proper place. So Moses was a servant, that is all. He is not deity. Like Mary, the mother of Jesus, there's this effort to esteem Mary beyond her proper role. But Mary was just a servant doing the will of God, and she is not deity like John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. He was there to prepare the way for Christ and for the new covenant. John declared about Jesus, John 3.30, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John understood his role as a servant, preparing the way for Jesus, pointing his followers to Jesus, that they might find salvation in him. John went on to say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So John was pointing to the Son, to Jesus, and he said, whoever believes in this Son has eternal life. But then the language changes a little bit. He says, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life so the believing and the obeying go hand in hand you can't really say we can't really say we believe if we're not actually obeying our obeying indicates what we actually believe about jesus and the word of god if we really believe jesus and the word of god then it's followed by obedience if there's no obedience then there's no real belief. And so what is it that we believe about this Jesus? What do we do with him? And is, is our, uh, is, do our, does, does our life reflect actual belief through our obedience? John understood that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that his job, his only job, was to point people to Jesus. Mary and Moses also prepared the way for Jesus. That was their job. Your job, <laughs> my job, is to point people to Jesus. We're not here to warm a seat on Sunday morning. As much as I love seeing all of your faces, we are here for purpose in the earth. What has God equipped you to do? Donald Gunthrie wrote, The mission of the servants, great though it was, prepares the way for the far greater mission 
of the Son. So whatever your earthly mission in life is, the mission of the Son is far greater, supreme over anything else we might attempt to do. Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we, we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. So what do we, what do we do with this Jesus? Who do we say that he is? Who do we believe that he is? Who, who do we declare by our obedience that he is? What do we do with this Jesus? Some have said, I'm not going to do anything with Jesus. But in declaring you're not going to do anything with Jesus, you're saying, I'm ignoring Jesus and I'm not going to follow him. So in your non-decision, you've made a decision. In your declaration to be middle of the road, you decided what will you do with Jesus? I would encourage you to think carefully about him. Your eternity hangs in the balance. What you do with Jesus determines your eternal place and state. Number one, think carefully about him. Number two, choose to believe the truth about Jesus. You want to know truth about Jesus? Read Hebrews 1. Read the pages of Scripture. Uh, the 66 books of the Bible that declare the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Old Testament points us to the person and work and the salvation grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, what do we do with Jesus? Keep your courage and remain confident in him. Keep your courage and remain confident in him. This is a battle for us, isn't it? To stay courageous as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in our culture that's becoming less and less. This culture is becoming less and less God-centered and more and more secular. And so it's harder to keep our courage because we're swimming against the tide, against the culture. People don't understand Christians. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand why we would serve Jesus. And so it's more difficult to keep courage and remain confident in him. So how do we keep our courage and remain confident? Let's look at the rest of Hebrews chapter 3 because in there there's plenty of challenging statements, plenty of warnings that help us to keep our courage and remain confident. Hebrews 3, 7, that is why the Holy Spirit says, and there's a quote here from Psalm 95, 8 through 11, this is what the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Maybe you're here today and your heart is hardened a bit toward the Lord. Maybe you've been disappointed, frustrated, saddened by the things that are happening in the culture and the world. Maybe you're disappointed at God's response. Maybe you're disappointed in the way that God has handled your life, has allowed things to happen in your life. Maybe there's a subtle hardening of the heart. It's a subtle thing. It's something that creeps in little by little, and it's hard to even detect until we begin to realize that we're distant from the Lord, that we're angry with the Lord, that we're frustrated with the Lord. And the result of those things is a hardening of the heart. It's, a, it's like, it's like a, a self-protection. Lord, I, I'm not sure if I can trust you, so I'm not sure I want to let you in. Lord, I'm not sure I believe you, so I'm going to protect myself from you. And there's a subtle hardening of the heart. If you're there today, the only remedy for a hard heart is just brokenness and contrition, where you're saying, Lord, I, 
I don't understand why these things have happened. I don't understand why things have unfolded the way they have unfolded in my life. I don't understand, but God, I'm choosing to trust you. I talked with my sister in Oklahoma earlier this week, last week, and she's 41, and from birth she's had physical problems. So for four decades she's had physical problems. She's going in Monday morning, tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, because they're trying to save her left eye. She's already completely, mostly blind in her right eye, and she's pretty well blind in her left eye as well. And they're going in just to do what they can to salvage any sight that she might have in her left eye. So she told me, she said, I just, I feel like, I feel like God's picking on me. I feel like. I just want to give up, and it's hard for me to believe. She just lost, you know, as, as we, we had shared the same dad. We just lost our dad. She was devastated by that. She lost her mom a year before that. It's been one hit after the other for her, and she's struggling with her faith. And I said, I don't understand why God's allowing these things. I don't have answers for you, but I know that God loves you, and I'd like to pray for you. And so I just prayed for her, and I just asked the Lord's grace and mercy and and help for her situation. And after I prayed with her, and she said, you know, my mom used to pray for me just like that and would always encourage me. Thank you so much for praying for me. You know, we don't always have to have the answers, but we've got to hold on to our confidence, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many things will happen in this life that we just flat do not agree with or understand Be careful not to harden your heart. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So the people of Israel watched God deliver deliver them out of Egypt where they had been enslaved for hundreds of years. Now he's taking them through the wilderness into the promised land. And they're there for 40 years because of their hard hearts, their rebellious attitudes, and their, their, their inability to believe God. And so even though God delivered them and showed them miracles by providing water and food and clothes that didn't wear out and shoes that didn't wear out as they walked around for 40 years. They, they, they weren't touched by the miracles of God, much like the New Testament when God would, uh, through the work, person working power of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus' life, he would heal people, resurrect people from the dead, do all kinds of wonderful supernatural things. There were people who just had a hard heart toward him and just flat refused to believe him. So I don't think it's a miracle that we need in our lives that will change our mind. It's a decision to change our minds where we say, God, I don't understand, but I am choosing to believe. I'm choosing to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to believe you. I'm choosing to be obedient. I'm choosing to follow you. Verse 10 says, so I was angry with them. God was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. And we see the, the 
kindness of God throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, the patience of God, the faithfulness of God to his people. And it didn't matter. They continued to refuse him, to refuse obedience, to refuse to acknowledge him as Lord and as King. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. And so because of their sinfulness, their disobedience, their rebellion, they wandered until a whole generation of unbelievers died off so that they might finally enter into the promised land. He said, verse 12, be careful then. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. And so we have to be aware of what's going on internally, what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives spiritually. What is happening? Are we keeping a tender heart, an available heart, a humble heart, or are we hardening up, getting cynical? I, I know that I'm getting a hard heart when I become cynical or critical. My wife's like, what's going on with you? Because she can read it like, you know, cynicism and criti crit critical spirit. She's like, what's going on? I don't know. I'm just having a bad day. <laughs> and then I'll realize that my heart is hardened up about something, and I just need to confess and repent. And, yeah, she'll point out my furrowed brow. <laughs> she'll, do a, she'll do a furrowed brow. She'll go, kind of look at me like that. Can you see it? Kind of look, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I know what you do. <laughs> so I'll have a furrowed brow, and she'll, she'll, it's an indication that I'm, you know, getting grumpy about something. And so she'll remind me in the most gracious way possible. She'll remind me. <laughs> Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. So we have to be careful said, you must warn each other every day, verse 13, while it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived. And that's the problem uh, with sin and the heart, hardening of a heart. There's a, a deception that's taking place. And when we choose to open up the Scripture and allow the Scripture, the truth of God's Word, to inform our understanding, to inform us spiritually, then we can't be as easily deceived. Verse 14, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, verse 15. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And so we have this opportunity today to examine our hearts, examine our lives, to choose to believe the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, to choose to walk by faith, and not by sight, to refuse to be rebellious. Verse 16 says, And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? Remember where God has brought you, and choose not to be rebellious. And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him. So we see, verse 19, that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Listen, you and I will never keep our courage. We will never remain confident in Jesus if we allow rebellion, sinfulness, disobedience. If we allow those things into our life, we will begin to 
suffer with unbelief. We will begin to suffer with doubts and with anger and all sorts of things that will draw us away from the goodness of God. We will instead fall into unbelief and ultimately be defeated, at the very least deflated in our faith. So what do we, what do, we do with Jesus? Think carefully about him. Choose to believe the truth about him and keep your courage and remain confident in him. As we talk about Jesus, we're going to take communion. Hopefully everybody received their elements. I think mine are there somewhere. Um, if you do not have elements, go ahead and raise your hand and we will make sure that you get elements. So keep your hand up. We've got a couple people working on that right now. Before we take communion, I just want to challenge us. If you're here today and you, you don't know Jesus, you, you, you haven't known what to do with him up to this point, I want to give you a chance to come to know him. I want to give you a chance to understand who he is so that you might think properly about him and respond properly to him. So if you're here today and you are saying, man, I don't know this Jesus, but I recognize my need for him. As the elements are being passed out, I just want us to close our eyes and we'll just pray for a moment. And So, Lord, your word has gone out and people who have heard it may need to get saved and right with you, Lord. And so I pray, God, that if there are people here today that need that, Lord, that they would submit their lives to you, that they would say yes to you. And if you're here with everybody's eyes closed, this is how you say yes to Jesus. You declare your need for him. You say, Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to come into my life. I, I need you to adopt me into your family. I need forgiveness and grace and love. And as you make that declaration of your heart to the Lord in prayer, he hears you. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're here today and you need salvation, that salvation from judgment, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, spiritual separation. We talked about that a lot last week. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you need salvation in the quietness of your own heart, receive him. And then after the service, tell somebody that you received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today, and you've received him, but your heart has been hardened. And you've been filled with some rebelliousness and disobedience. And you need to rethink, think clearly about Jesus, and then make some decisions based on truth about him. If you're here today and you felt distant from the Lord, I want you to uh, consider reconsider, uh, recommitting your life to the Lord. And boy, that can be done just by simply acknowledging, Lord, I've been distant from you. I, my heart's been hard. I don't know why I've been rebellious and disobedient, but Lord, I don't, I don't want to be rebellious and disobedient any longer. Lord, would you please lead my life? And I commit, Lord, to submit my life to you and to follow you and to love you and to allow you to love me. And so as you declare your heart's intent to the Lord, he hears you. 
The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So anything that has been committed that is a sin can be forgiven as you confess those things to the Lord. And so if you're here today, I want to ask you before we take communion, not to take communion, if you haven't trusted the Lord for salvation. This is a believer's time to remember, to reflect on Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's go ahead and take the wafer. Thank you for your sacrifice, your willing sacrifice, your obedient sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for taking our place. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, verse 25 says, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's go ahead and take the cup. Thank you for the cup, Lord, that represents the blood that was shed for our sins, that they might be cleansed. In that supernatural transaction, that supernatural exchange, where righteousness has been imputed to believers, and the sin of those believers have been imputed to you, and you took them and died. You died for all of the sins of the world, that whoever believes in you might be saved thank you lord i pray that everyone who hears the message of the gospel whether here or in azerbaijan or in africa or in mexico or in greenland or wherever we have people stationed for the gospel lord god all over the globe lord god the people would hear and respond to the message of the lord jesus christ thank you for this time we love you lord we bless you in jesus name Amen. Amen. Worship team, come forward. We're going to sing another song, and then we'll close things up. Would you stand as we worship? God, we worship you in this place. We thank you that you are holy. We thank you that you are faithful. God, as we sing, I pray that we would just worship you in spirit and in truth.
and that you would meet us wherever we are. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your